Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. So this is a bit of a strange one for me. It's a, a surprise recommendation, and it comes with a little bit of a story. So my mother-in-law, she loves going around old bookshops and charity shops, charity shops in particular, picking up books for my youngest son. Very nice of her, very useful at times, because I always have a little look through these books too. And I was surprised to find one called King of Shadows. It's shortlisted, or was shortlisted, for the Carnegie Medal, and it's by an author called Susan Cooper. Now, I think she's relatively well known, but I've not read any of her books. And this is kind of, this is not uh, aimed at adults, it's kind of, not really a children's book, maybe like a, a young, younger teenager, or yeah, maybe maybe sort of around about a 12, 13, perhaps 14, depending on reading age. But I was um, intrigued by the book. It's, it's, it's about Shakespeare, the globe, um, and a boy who travels from America. He goes back in time. He's an American boy. He comes to London, and he ends up in a bit of a time warp. And I'm not going to have a load of spoilers in here. But what I like about it is it's got some really interesting day-to-day life in Shakespearean London type of information. You know, it's it's forever talking about the day-to-day business of being a boy in, in those times. He's, apprent- he's like an apprentice actor, goes into that whole business of the apprenticeship. There's stuff about food and um, how people amuse themselves and you know day-to-day life and it's described really well it's very evocative very atmospheric there's uh, you know there's some drama in there and it's got it it's just a nice story um, like I say very evocative very informative and Historically, it seems super well-researched. The, the author has clearly put in a lot of time into this, or maybe they're just a, a bit of an expert on the theatre and the globe. And um, For anybody interested in any of that stuff, the, um, the, the early days of acting, the globe theatre, the work of Shakespeare apprenticeships or this period in history i just found it a real kind of page turner and a surprise um on the back it says what does it say a young actor nat field wakes up one morning to find himself in the past in 1599 acting at the globe theater his co-star is the king of shadows himself william shakespeare nat's new life is blazing with excitement and edged with danger but why is he here Uh, And the Sunday Telegraph describes it as a wonderful, entirely captivating novel. And I would totally agree with that. If you get a chance to pick this up, or maybe you've uh, you've got a youngster or someone in mind that that might enjoy this book. um, Yeah, a surprise to me, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not too long. Let's just check the page count. Uh, it's, uh, It's under 200 pages. It's quite a large font, so it was easy on my eyes. 
just thoroughly enjoyed it and I wanted to share that with you, the listener. Hey, Spike Pitt. Hey, it's your old buddy Joe. Uh, just giving you a call. I was catching up on your episodes today. Um, I must have listened to a handful of them. Um, you know, just kind of falling behind and, you know, so many, so many podcasts. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm calling in, actually, is uh, I know a while ago you uh, requested some um, recommendations for history podcasts. And uh, I actually just started listening to a few myself. And uh, they are, let's see, uh, both kind of focused on the ancient world. So the first one is actually just called The Ancients. And uh, it kind of focuses on, looks like most of their episodes are Rome and before. Um, I listened to a few on the picks, uh, Egypt, you know, all, all of the ancient sort of um, European, North African, Middle East area. Uh, so far, it's pretty good. It's very scholarly. Uh, I think you dig it. Um, the other one I'm listening to is called uh, Mesoamerican Studies on Air, uh, which, if it's not obvious, uh, is mostly about um, Central America uh, and... I think there's some Incan stuff in here as well, uh, but basically Aztecs, uh, Maya, Olmecs, etc. Um, pretty cool stuff. Um, it's something that I'm descended from those people. I feel like I should know more about them. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just started. You know, I looked for it, and there it was. So uh, you know, giving it a listen. Um, yeah, man. But just want to let you know that you know, I'm still listening. Uh, bit of a slacker, I guess, on my timing, but. Uh, you know, you're killing it. Uh, you're doing really great. Um, hope you and uh, Darren, all oh, the family's doing well. Uh, yeah, man. Cheers, buddy. So it was great to hear from my old buddy, Joe Salvador. I've got a few calls in this episode, and it, now I'm on a monthly schedule with putting these episodes out. Unfortunately, it does mean it takes me a little bit of a while to get round to answering the calls. However, I urge you to persevere and continue to call in because everybody likes to hear from the old voices. I love to hear from old buddies. And it it creates a nice little to and fro, gives me a bit of inspiration, spurs me on. I feel obliged to include the calls. And and that means, you know, when when I'm pressed... And maybe thinking that a podcast recording is the last thing I need to add to my list of things to do. I've got these calls to fall back on to spur me on. And this one, particularly useful from Joe, his recommendation of the ancients is right. I dig it. I really did dig that podcast. I I got the uh, the American and a Meso, Mesoamerican one as well in my to listen to list but the ancients caught my eye or did they catch my ear that recommendation really stood out to me as one to go and check out and I listened to a couple of episodes I feel like it it was a little while ago now and I mean to get back to it but one in particular I loved was all about the Roman legionnaire and the sort of I like that everyday, that slice of everyday history, the kind of the common man stuff, and not so much all the emperors and kings and things like that, but how the the Roman legionnaire got on day to day, what he was involved in. Um, I don't know. I, I loved that stuff, uh, and the time period. I'm not so much fussed about, but yeah, that that down to earth, 
slice of everyday living. And I, I think it's particularly useful to me when I'm thinking about using ideas for RPGs. A great pick and I am super happy to hear from you, Joe, and I hope you do call in again in the not too distant future. So about a year ago, I was feeling a bit like butter spread a bit too thinly over toast and I had too much on. I cut back social media and one of the things that went is I, I pulled out of the audio dungeon, I pulled out of some of the other Discord servers that I was on just to try and clean house a bit. But recently, talking of butter spread too thinly over toast, I've rejoined the audio dungeon because I heard of a cool little project or, I don't know, initiative that was going on. I believe it was started by Ray Otis. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was started by Ray Otis. And then my old buddy Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast was promoting it on his show. This idea of a slow kind of communal read through Lord of the Rings. And I thought, do you know what? I've never done that. Never had a go at such a thing. Sounds like quite a good idea. And it's been great fun. It's true what Ray says. He's read it loads. I've read, I think I've read the Lord of the Rings a couple of times. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm dipping into the book here and there. I'm, I listen to a recording that Ray Otis made of the prologue. And then discovered, oh yeah, I've actually got this on Audible. So I've been listening to some Rob Inglis. And for me now, I hear his voice and it, it just sounds like it could be Tolkien himself. It, it, the voice matches my my image of Tolkien. And what I'd like to actually do is go and see if I can find some stuff on YouTube, maybe some interviews of, of Tolkien uh, talking. Yeah, everybody's pitching in with kind of questions and comments and little offshoots of information that they found answering other people's questions so you're getting this whole discussion slow reading of lord of the rings i, I can highly recommend it you you pick up on all sort all sorts of things that you missed before maybe it's responsible a little bit for my getting back into the osr again the denied parallels guy gets denied with lord of the rings when you when you look at the prologue and you hear Tolkien talking about and explaining the hobbits you know it's it's just it's literally what's written in D&D um, more or less point for point so that was that was interesting I knew there was a resemblance but I'd forgotten how close it really is I also started listening again or re-listening to the Prancing Pony podcast they they do a similar thing. They kind of do a slow read and talk about it. Uh, I am now remembering why I stopped listening to it. And one of the presenters on that podcast, he, he kind of, he grates with me a little bit. I mean, he's a fairly nice guy, but I have to listen in small doses because he he tends to kind of interrupt the other host. And sometimes he, he, he tries to be really funny and, my sense of humour and his sense of humour, maybe they don't align so well. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is, it's still a great podcast and they're very thorough. 
and they got me thinking, you know, maybe I should pick up a companion book and, and delve into it a bit more. But you know how these things go. They can become a massive rabbit hole and there's not enough hours in the day. But really, all I'm here to say is, you know, if you're not on the audio dungeon, think about jumping on there. It's probably going to take us about till this time next year to get it all wrapped up. But what a lot of fun we will have on that journey. What, there and back again? Are we there and back again? Would that be appropriate? I don't know. Yo, Colin, always stoked to hear a new episode from you. Uh, yeah, so in your latest, you mentioned Vigilante City and how your son was itching to play a Supers game, but you were a little hesitant because you're not super familiar with uh, with the genre. So I, I played Vigilante City not too long ago, and the one one of the cool things about it is it's not tied to any of, you know, it's not tied to Marvel or DC or any of the other comic books out there. So you can kind of do your own thing, which is nice, right? Like if you're not super familiar with Marvel or DC, you don't have to worry about it because you just get to make up all new superheroes and everything. But then that does leave you with the problem of having to make up all new superheroes and everything. So, you know, there's some give and take there. But I thought Vigilante City was really fun. And yeah, man, if you do get it to the table, I'll be curious to hear what you think about it. Anyway, dude, back to the episode. Take it easy. Peace out. And there he is going to prove you can never have too many Joes in one episode. Mr. Richter, the voice of Hindsightless. Absolutely right, sir. Absolutely right. I don't need to worry about canon if I play Vigilante City. What am I going on about? Well, I feel like it is... I, um... I missed the mark a little bit in my discussion, and really, it's I feel it's maybe perhaps the genre itself that I'm not super familiar with, or or I feel not that confident with. But why is that? Why is that? I I don't know. I don't think I can even justify it. I've seen enough Marvel movies. Yeah, right. I've I've not read a load of comics or anything. But how hard can it really be? Making a bit of a, a mountain out of a molehill, perhaps, and. As it happens, turns out that I, I think my my group has probably done with ICRPG for a while. And I can understand that. It takes a certain type of player who, who wants to invent quite a lot of content. And I guess I need to come to terms with the fact that my players just like a little bit more structure and a little bit more meat on the bones in terms of direction from the rule book about the possibilities. So they're building characters. They like to build their characters and, and look ahead and perhaps see a, a path to follow for development or for inspiration. In particular, my brother, that was a conversation I had with him recently whilst we were at Dragon Meet. And uh, yeah, so... The likelihood, unfortunately, of me actually getting Vigilante City to the table is, is is pretty much zero at this point. One day in the future, I still would like to visit it, but there's so many games, so little time. So, unfortunately, Joe, I'm not really going to be able to get back to you on that one. But I do recall you talking about having played it, and it did sound like you had a great time. And I'm sure, sure we would have a great time. Perhaps it's one of those things I'll squeeze in a little one-shot at some point. It could well be something my daughter would enjoy. But I have got 
a little bit of another project that uh, I'm going to talk about another time. It's another game that is I've I've mentioned kind of in passing, but I picked up a, a a copy of another game once again whilst I was at Dragon Meet in London at the weekend. I picked it up from the Bring and Buy stand, and I'm really loving this group of systems. But I'm going to say no more. I'm going to say no more at this point. Feel free to have a guess what I'm talking about. But that remains for another day. Now, who else have we got? Oh, and once again, great to hear from you, Mr. Richter. Hey, Colin, enjoyed the latest episode. I look forward to hearing what you decide to run next time the GM chair comes around to you. Pyroporg is pretty neat, and I it's my favorite of the board games. It's set up for you to be scoundrels, but I think you could easily rework it so the players don't have to be, you know, nasty, evil people. I, th- I think you'd re- reset it and use it for a more heroic game as well. So w- with a definite dark tone, but, but I, th- I think you could do that. Anyhow, really looking forward to what you do next. And I wish the best to you and your family. Take care. Now this calling from Jason, a most welcome calling, but actually pulled me up quite sharp. I realized I'd thought about Pirate Borg and I'd sort of skipped over the whole darkness of it. I feel pirates have become a little bit too nice in my mind, which is outrageous. Outrageous. And in fact, I need to get that addressed. So if I do play Pirate Borg, I will have to I will have to have a, a mind to actually getting some of that darkness in there. I don't want out and out villains. We've always got the pirate code. Johnny Depp wouldn't want us forgetting about the pirate code. And, yeah, I think there's sometimes a danger that you you can fall into familiarity with some of these, these tropes and, and lose a sense of what is actually going on. Um, what do I mean? Well, pirates, you know, they're... they're cutthroat killers uh, scoundrels looking looking to make a fast buck from the misfortune of others but at the same time I did do a bit of research and they they're not all not always all bad quite often sparing crew sometimes freeing crew from conditions that were less than ideal and they had a kind of a kind of democracy the captain could be voted out and fair shares of treasure and negotiated shares of treasure. So there was, in some ways, I think maybe they had a lot going for them. And then, of course, you've got privateers. Maybe they're even worse. They're sort of scoundrels working for the the powers that be, uh, greedy monarchs and the like. Um... Yeah, the whole thing could be very questionable, of course. And then, I mean, they don't actually make an ideal subject for kids a lot of the time. But yet, how many kind of pirate characters have we seen in fiction? It's I think it's all the treasure-seeking, swashbuckling, sword-fighting type of adventure. Uh, the Often the kind of the anti-hero. So, yeah. 
I know that's not really what Jason was phoning in about, but it, it got me thinking. And now I'm wondering, what other genres do I just sort of take as, as being fine and, and not and kind of miss some of the nastiness of it? Perhaps D&D being a classic, killing monsters and taking their stuff. And you get into the whole conundrum of when the party finder perhaps a community of goblins and go in there. I mean, were the goblins really causing any trouble? Probably not always. They've gone in there and laid waste to them, killed uh, every living creature and looted out all their treasure. It is, when you think about it, pretty questionable stuff. But not everybody wants to think about that, of course, when they're playing their RPGs. And I do remember a, a tale... Uh, I'm pretty sure I shared it with people that have been listening for a while. I might remember playing. I played in a game. Uh, my brother was was running, and, and we did exactly that. We went into a, a goblin encampment and laid waste to the place. Really debatable whether it was justified. It really was a bit of a grey area. And I remember playing and actually feeling a little bit uncomfortable about it. I, I put it to one side, but then I thought, yeah, I don't know. So it, it's curious. I wonder how many people have similar thoughts and whether they steer away from games like that and just play something a bit more or less violent and a bit more peaceful, or maybe a bit more creative. Maybe they pit their wits against nature. Uh, maybe there's more diplomacy and a social interaction uh, I think it's it's something that I haven't to, heard talked of so much lately it's definitely cropped up before and the classic is what you know what do you do with the goblin babies or the orc babies that is uh, a recurring theme among RPGs through the ages <laughs> I suspect we all go through phases with our gaming. Whether it's a phase of war gaming or board gaming, podcasting, whatever it is. And this probably affects our whole life and everything we do. But I'm here to talk about role playing and that's what I'm going to do. I don't know what sparked it off. There's a few things it could have been, but I'm looking at my old school games again. Now this could have been because of OSR October. It could have been I listened to a episode from Shay Webster of Roleplay Rescue. Got me looking. And then whilst I was looking at my old Beckme uh, Redbox Basic Mensa from 1983, my original copy, I heard Jason Connolly talking about it as well. So is it is it the time of year? Is it the weather? Is it us hunkering down for winter coming? Feeling the need for something comforting, like an old pair of slippers or a woolly jumper? I think maybe it is. It's it's coming around to Christmas. It's the time I like to get out my Lego and revisit my childhood and perhaps, for me, some old school D&D is another one of those things. Now, it's not just that. The kids at school seem to have hit a little bit of a road bump with 
5e. And um, the aforementioned Che Webster has been talking about in his school club, he's gone back to the 1983 edition of the game. So I started poking about again, and recently I talked about basic fantasy, and still, still I cannot put my finger on what it is I like about that. I've been using some of the basic fantasy products in my Monkey Isle game with ICRPG. And I've been laboriously taking the open text document, uh, converting it into slides so that I can run it on the laptop. And I was thinking, oh, do, I, do I still want to work on the laptop? I, I struggle with my eyes a little bit. And I thought, oh, let's get down the old DM journal. So I was looking through that and reminiscing on games past and seeing all some of the ideas that I could reuse again and thinking back to times of lonely fun, enjoying scrawling in my journal. So old conflicted Colin remains conflicted. I like the creation on the laptop and the fact that it keeps me messing with computers and using Google and that helps me at work. It helps me develop my, my method of working with these this software and applications and then at the same time using a journal I can keep my hand in it's just somehow I don't know I find it a little bit more fun at times but then I don't have the search function it's a little bit harder to edit things and I always feel like I I write a little bit better on computers I quite enjoy that being able to move things around because often when I write I I don't get things in the order that I want them in and then I get a little bit of frustration. So I'm constantly changing. I, I think I need to come to terms with I'm never going to be settled doing things in any one way. I'm constantly tweaking and evolving. And Part of me wants to settle on something, but then I imagine as soon as I settled on it, I'll just become tired of it and want to change things up. But yeah, I'm back visiting the old school and I feel it's just so approachable. I uh, got Morgan's Fort down off the shelf, which is a, a basic fantasy uh, role-playing game product. I had uh, the white box, the uh, f uh, f what is it, the FMAG, Fantastic Medieval Adventure Game, f or Fantasy Medieval. It's either Fantastic or Fantasy, Fantasy Medieval Adventure Game, I think. Anyway, got that down and was enjoying the the tightness of that book and the the ease of um, getting through it really quickly and how some things just make sense and I put aside some of my old niggles with these rules some of the things I I'm not so sure about em embracing that well it worked so well for me for years why am I why am I feeling the need to tweak all that so I'm picturing this game that's pretty much Rules as written, just seven character classes. Race as class. Um, hit points. I, I previously given out max hit points, but I think I'll just go with rolling the dice and perhaps throw away a one or a two, re-roll a one or a two and see what happens. And maybe I can get a couple of my kids to have a game at Christmas. 
make up a couple of free characters each, something like that. Almost a, a little bit of a, a funnel, if you like. And try and convince them that it's not all about the character and it's about the party and it's about making up this story. And I was full of all these great ideas. Got my daughter on board, we started making up characters and then came along my youngest son and burnt the whole thing to the ground. <laughs> oh, does not understand. Why have you got to roll 3D6 down the line? Oh, I'm not going to be able to play the character I want to play. I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, why Why am I this? Why am I that? Oh, oh blah, 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 blah. And he was having absolutely none of it at all. And my hopes were dashed. But we had a few crosswords. We talked about positive mindset. We talked about, yeah, but it's not about the stats and it's not this and it's not that. But like I say, he was having none of it at all. But I'm not one to give up easily. I wanna I wanna get over this. I want I wanna try and tempt him into playing some old school. But it is an uphill struggle. He's telling me why? Why of all the games we could play, why do you wanna play this game? And to a a fifteen year old, this can be kind of a difficult thing to explain. Why am I playing this old game that basically Dates back to 1983, 1981 even, if you if you think about it. We, we were actually looking at old school essentials, which is a pretty uh, faithful reimagining of BX. And yeah, what can I say to him? How can I convince him round? I thought about, what about pre-gens? I could make him up an interesting, fun kind of pre-gen, put that in front of him. I put the idea to him without actually having a pre-gen. I said, what about pre-gens? Nah, don't want to do that. That's not my character, is it? Nah, I don't want to do that. So he's not interested. Maybe I'll try again with an actual pre-gen. Once he can see it there, Gavin Norman put out 21 pre-gens for OSE. What was it called? I can't remember, but they're fun. Fun illustrations. Got that kind of almost a black pudding kind of vibe about them and that's that's what I want to capture I want to go for that not gonzo but a little bit a little bit more light-hearted than the typical game I play I don't suppose he'll like that either so you know how do I sell him on this I thought about maybe I could approach through with some art get people involved in sketching out some fun portraits then I thought about well what about a stat array Oh my goodness, the old school, they'll be turning in their graves. I'll be cast out, I'll have my membership card torn up. Stat array in old school? Why not? Why not have a stat array? Then he can build the character that he wants with the conditions of there only being seven character classes and there's, you know, not a, a plethora of different races. Perhaps that will get him round, but then... What stat array would I use? It's a tricky one. How can I get this guy to the table? And should I even bother? I hear you say, well, why bother? Why get someone who's reluctant? 
to give it a go because I want to run it. And if he doesn't play, it's going to be me and my daughter and I've got to start looking for other people to play. And I'd like him to try it one more time. Make it fun and see if I can convert him. See if I can bring him on board and see the the fun that you can have with the old school. So if you've got any ideas, folks, this is an appeal. How can I? How can I bring the reluctant player around? Should I, in fact, bring him? What about the stat array? What about other alternative ways of randomising? Could we do 4d6 and drop the lowest? If you was in my shoes, dear listener, what would you do? And that, as they say, is a wrap. Big thanks goes out to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. Take care, and I'll catch you later.